1: Hello, Husker fans. Welcome to episode 188 of the Husker Football Fan Podcast. I'm Mike Harvat. And I'm Justin Swanson. Today, we talked to Matt Zimmer, sports writer at the Argus Leader, about the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. We also talked to Josh Planos, contributing writer at 538 about Nebraska's pioneering efforts with name, image, and likeness.
2: You can find us on the web at huskerpod.com or by searching Husker Football Fan Podcast on Facebook. You can also connect with us on Twitter by following at Huskerpod or email us at huskerpod at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Central Nebraska Buffalo. Check out their website for their latest deals, that's cnbuffalo.com.
1: Also brought to you by Monty Rohde with Pinnacle Realty in Lincoln. Looking to buy or sell a home in Lincoln or know someone who does? Hit up Monty at 402 770
2: 3356. We've got a great show for you today. Great show. Yeah. So, yeah, Matt Zimmer and uh, Josh Planos. A couple of really interesting conversations. And uh, I learned a lot about Division I FCS football from Matt. Like, we talked about that. I feel like we talked about that almost as long as we talked about this particular team and the influence that their growth has had on... You know, while simultaneously, you've seen the Huskers decline, and is maybe there's some correlation.
1: There was it's, definitely like a moment where it seemed like we were converging in the wrong way.
2: It's, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a good team coming to Lincoln mm. this fall. So that's something to look forward to. I hope you enjoy that conversation. And then, uh, yeah, after that, we've we've got a conversation with Josh, and I guess we'll cue that up here in a little bit. Sounds so, good. Let's roll the conversation with Matt Zimmer. We're excited to welcome Matt Zimmer to the show. Matt is a sports writer at the Argus Leader, and uh, Matt, welcome! Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Justin. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm excited to talk about South Dakota State. I was in the stadium. I think it was a grad student when South Dakota State visited Nebraska. However many years ago it was, and it was uncomfortably close. And uh, I covered that game. I was there. Yeah. Oh, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So uh, you know. Husker fans have some, some recent history with South Dakota State. Um, I, I'm curious, is someone, how long have you, have you covered South Dakota State then? sounds a little while at least.
3: Um, I've been at the Argus Leader for 17 years, and I've spent the last five or six as the primary beat writer covering South Dakota State. Uh, but even prior to those five or six years, I mean, we're a relatively small staff at our paper, um, there was a. I, I, so in the long story short, I covered a lot of South Dakota State stuff, or at least you know followed it, even when I wasn't uh, the full-time beat writer. And now, for the last five six years, I have been the full-time beat writer and been just that much more sort of
2: with my hands right in, primarily the football and basketball programs there. Awesome. Well, excited that you bring that much experience to the conversation. Can you help uh, our listeners ex- uh, understand maybe the the context of South Dakota State football, maybe their place and that. The FCS environment. I know they're uh, the top ten, top five preseason mm-hmm.
3: polls. I, I think one poll came out that had them number two already, which is the highest they've ever been. SDSU wow. um, has been Division One for 15, 16 years now, and at least as far as football is concerned, uh, they've been a better Division One program than they were a Division Two program. They were a, I would say, slightly above average team in Division Two almost never made the playoffs, usually went, you know, six and five, seven and four, something like that, made the move to Division I, FCS. Uh, there were certainly some bumps in the road, uh, but they still have the same head coach today, John Stegelmeyer, that they had in those Division Two days. They stuck with him over the course of the last few years, have seen an entire, uh, I think you could say, metamorphosis of their program as far as Uh, facilities. They now have arguably the best stadium in FCS football, Mm -hmm. arguably the best training facility indoor, you know, that they have for football and and share with other sports. Uh, They've really come a long, long way. And now they've made the playoffs eight years in a row or or whatever it is. I kind of lost track. It's, it's been a long enough streak now. Um, They're a perennial playoff team. Uh, Whereas at one time just getting to the playoffs was a goal Uh, to kind of give you a little context this past year, they made the playoffs, got a first round by, lost in the first round, or their first game after the first round bye, um, finished the season eight and five, and by most accounts, it's viewed as a, a disappointing season. Nobody's too happy about it. Awesome. So they've obviously come a long way, and as I'm sure most of, you know, Husker Nation is aware, um, North Dakota State is the perennial power in FCS football. They're in the same conference as South Dakota State. That's their board arrival. They win the national championship literally almost every single season. And that's the team that SDSU is, you know, forced, I guess, to measure itself against. And really the one team that they have not been able to, whose level they have not been able to get to. Um, I just mentioned they're number two in the country. They've been number two, number three, number four, pretty consistently for the last few years. Uh, they are one of the few teams to, to have beaten North Dakota State a few times. Hmm. They're the last team to beat them. Uh, they beat them. They beat them twice in a row just a few years ago. Uh, but they can't beat him when it matters. They can't seem to get him in the playoffs, and that's why the Bison keep winning national championships, and the Jackrabbits are still looking for their first one. Mm. And uh, that that's kind of where they've got to as a program now. They've done essentially everything but win that national championship, and uh, they're kind of at a point in their program. I mean, John Stegelmeyer, their coach, is 63. He's not getting any younger. He's probably on his last contract. And uh, I think everyone is kind of, you know, selling out completely national championship or bust, But as long as North Dakota State still is around, that doesn't get any easier because that team continues to just somehow get better and better and better and better. So that's kind of where they're at. They're kind of the second or third or fourth best team perennially in FCS football. That's a big deal, but there's a pretty big chasm between NDSU and everyone else.
2: What was it about that jump to division one that what, what, what changed besides that? Um, I think they, you know, South Dakota didn't have
3: any Division One programs in the state until SDSU made that decision to go. Uh, and I think – and a lot of people were against it. A lot of people mm-hmm. were like, you know what? This isn't a big enough state for that. We should stay where we're at. You know, there was a very strong opinion that let's be conservative about this and just be happy with what we've got. Uh, they took a big risk to to make that jump. and Because like I said, especially in football, they weren't an especially great Division Two football program. Yeah. Um, But once they made the move, uh, they were able to find, they found that a lot of people around this region within the state were really excited about it and maybe more willing to invest in division one athletics than in division two. Next thing you know, um, like I said, and it was definitely a long process, uh, but they now play in a really, really great stadium, have a really great uh, indoor training facility. Uh, Their other sports have seen increases in support resources, facilities, all that uh, the coaching staff is twice as big as it was when they first went Division I. Um, they're finally fully funded as far as, you know, scholarships and recruiting budgets and all those sorts of things. I mean, they're, they don't quite have everything, and, and, and John will make a point to remind you once in a while that they still don't have all the resources that, say, the Bison do or some of those other teams, but they're in a pretty good place. There's not a lot that they don't have to offer from the FCS standpoint. And I think, you know, to answer your question, I think that's what led to it is, People started investing in it. You started getting better resources. The program started winning. And then when the program started winning, more people wanted to, to invest in it. And it became easier uh, for them to recruit and to bring in coaches and to uh, reach out to donors to help with facilities and stuff. And so, I mean, I can honestly say I don't think the most optimistic South Dakota State fan uh, back in 2004 when they first initiated this move would have envisioned it would look like it does today. That's not to say everything's been perfect and they have everything they want. Um, but if you'd asked me 15 years ago, how do you think this move to division One's is going to go? I don't think anyone would have envisioned it going as well as it
2: has for football, basketball, pretty much across the board. Huh. It's kind of interesting that as South Dakota state is kind of uh, uh, ascended, Nebraska has kind of been receding and trying mm-hmm. to get back. And I, uh, one one thing that Husker fans and media will point to is a lot of the guys that in theory would have walked on in the past or having more opportunities mm-hmm. at, at the schools like South Dakota state, the FCS level where they get a scholarship and then go play. So, mm-hmm. so your scholar, your school's paid for and you're on the field, which, you know, you mm-hmm. go to Nebraska, no guarantee of either of those. Um, right. uh, is how much of that have you seen coming from Nebraska? And yeah. How much of that have you seen? it's a big
3: deal. Um, they, they had an assistant coach who was their recruiting coordinator named Dan Jackson, who's from Omaha, played at UNO, also played at SDSU. Um, he was kind of the impetus. It's not like they never recruited Nebraska before. Uh, but Dan was, you know, he instituted the Nebraska Jacks, uh, hashtag that became a big thing in their recruiting cycles and, uh, made a big point of emphasis Uh, was very aggressive about it, was very open in the media about, like, I'm going after these guys. You know, he kind of challenged – I don't want to say he, like, called out the Nebraska staff by any means, but, I mean, he wasn't trying to hide what he was doing. You know, I mean, he was very blunt about, I'm going to get these kids, and if the Huskers don't want them, I'm going to get them. Uh, And there were an awful lot of success stories there. Um, SDSU has, right now, a lot of really good Nebraska Football players on their team, um, Kate Johnson, the wide receiver, who's the son of Cluster Johnson. Um, he's arguably their best player. Uh, he's an All-American wide receiver. He's been very, very good. So, use um, that the last couple of years that talent yeah, here in Nebraska, right, Exactly. Well, and we'll get to it later. But uh, um, there was a lot, awful lot of rumors. He was going to be a Husker this year with his senior year coming up, hmm. um, and so there were some rumors about that. But anyway, um, Ryan Arith was a defensive end. Uh, from Papillion, I believe, who just graduated last year, had an excellent career, one of the better pass rushers the Jacks have had in recent years. Uh, Luke Sellers, a fullback, is in camp with the Detroit Lions right now. He was a very good player. I think he also came out of Papillion. Might have been teammates with Ryan. Uh, Josh Manchigaya, one of their safeties. Um, just I could go up and down the list. I mean, there's a lot of really, really good players. These guys are starters or heavy contributors. In some cases, like I said, all-conference, all-American guys – Uh, And I've written a couple stories about this particular – not just those guys, but, you know, how they – that whole Nebraska-Jacks thing and how Dan Jackson got them to Brookings, uh, you know, what the decision was like for them to choose between do I want to walk on at Nebraska or take a scholarship at South Dakota State. Some of them that was the exact uh, choice they were faced with. Some of them didn't even get a walk-on offer from Nebraska. You know, some of them – I I can think of one player who was telling me a story about how, you know – all he wanted was to play at Nebraska. That was his lifelong dream to be a Cornhusker. They invited him to a camp. He showed up. Thought, here it is. This is where my dream comes true. And they never reached out to him again. He wasn't mad about it or bitter or anything. He was just kind of like, I, I guess I wasn't good enough, you know. And he ended up coming to South Dakota State and has had a very productive career there. So, uh, you know, to answer your question, it's a big deal. Uh, hmm. it, I think, it will continue to be a thing. Uh, but this assistant I mentioned, Dan Jackson, he has moved on. Uh, mm-hmm. He took a job this offseason at Northern Illinois. So it will be very interesting to see going forward if they're able to continue this pipeline or if it will you know, dry up a little bit now that Dan's gone because Dan has made it very clear that just because he's in uh, Northern Illinois now doesn't mean he's going to stop recruiting Nebraska because that's his base. Yeah. Wow.
2: Super interesting. Was that Husker Jackson, Dan Jackson, was that happening Uh, before the last time South Dakota State came to Lincoln? Or is that since? I think since, yeah. Are those – Yeah, definitely since. So do those kids, when they come to Nebraska, do they not necessarily have a chip on their shoulder then? Or is there kind of something like – well, is there a chip there?
3: It it varies. You know, I think there are some kids who are really realistic about it and are like, hey, you know, Big Ten's the Big Ten. You know, I I grew up well aware of – how good the Nebraska program is. It's not like just anybody can can go play there, or get a scholarship. I think a lot of kids are uh, realistic about that and, and understanding and not necessarily angry. Uh, but I think there's some other kids that are like, hey, they got it wrong, mm. you know? And then you also look at uh, the fact that, like you mentioned, the Huskers haven't been a very good team of late. Uh, South Dakota State has been a very good team. That's not to say, you know, necessarily that, the answer for Nebraska would have been these kids that, you know, were potential walk-ons. I don't think right. those yeah. guys are, were, would have, you know, propelled them to the, you know, the Rose Bowl or anything. Uh, but certainly I think it adds a little bit to the, well, what's going on over there, you know? Maybe are, are they making some mistakes? And, and it's not just about South Dakota State either. I mean, uh, you know, Carson Wentz that went to uh, – uh, or not Carson Wentz. Uh, who was the other uh, – Easton Stick, the guy who oh. replaced – Carson Wentz, you know, he was a Nebraska kid. Um, And then, you know, Trey Lance, the quarterback at North Dakota State now, who being talked about as a potential first-round draft pick next year, he's a Twin Cities kid, or at least a a Central Minnesota kid. Gophers didn't offer him. Nebraska Mm. didn't offer him. You know, here he is, you know, an undefeated starting quarterback at North Dakota State, talking about a first-round draft pick. Uh, Dallas Goddard is a tight end uh, in the NFL now with the Eagles, went to South Dakota State. Uh, but he was a walk-on at SDSU. You know, Nebraska could have got him. Minnesota could have got him. I think the the larger lesson is that there's a lot of good football players out there in this region and outside of it. And people can criticize Nebraska all they want. I know Nebraska fans in particular are getting kind of tired of waiting for the return of the glory days, and there's a lot of blame being thrown around. And, you know, some of that's probably legitimate. Uh, but when you look at how many of these diamonds in the rough, so to speak, are coming out of these places – you know, it's kind of just a reality now that there's a lot of kids out there. And sometimes the FBS schools, again, it's not just Nebraska, it's Minnesota, it's Iowa, Iowa state, all those schools. You think, you think any of the kids I just mentioned would have turned down a scholarship from any of those schools uh, to go to South Dakota state, North Dakota state, probably not. So there's a lot of really good football players in the, at the FCS level that for whatever reason, the FBS schools somehow missed them.
2: Well, that's, you know, I think Bo and, and Riley most, Nebraskans will agree did not emphasize walk ons to the extent that the Osborne uh, Solich uh, crew did. And right. Frost has renewed that effort as uh, with, you know, he's come here on his third season. He's been doing a lot of recruiting, has brought in a ton of walk ons. As it, in that short two 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 and a half year period, have, have you noticed uh, a dip now in the Nebraska kids that were coming to South Dakota State and now aren't? I don't know if I could give you like specific examples or or
3: numbers to that effect, but I do know that the biggest thing that I don't know the way to put this, but the biggest concern maybe that SDSU's coaches have as signing day approaches is how many guys are we going to lose to last minute walk on offers from the big schools? Mm. You know, they feel like here's a guy who we know for a fact, if we get this guy, he's an impact player. We've offered him a scholarship. We've been on him since he was, you know, a sophomore or a junior in high school. We've been there every step of the way. This is our guy. But all it takes at the last minute, you know, is a, a Scott Frost walking in or one of his assistants and saying, hey, hmm. want to come to Nebraska? Play in Lincoln, you know? And, and they can't be mad at those kids when that happens. You know, who would, who, you can't ask them to turn down a, a dream like that. You know, sure. a, a good example is there was a local kid a couple years ago. His name was Seth Benson. He was a linebacker here in Sioux Falls, really, really good player. And his uh, parents had gone to South Dakota State. So it was just the perfect, you know, hey, he's going to be the All-American kid that follows in his family's footsteps, plays at SDSU. They were on him from the beginning, had offered him a scholarship really early. Were already planning on him, you know, probably being an impact player as a true freshman. At the last, he gave it, they even made it to, he gave the verbal commitment uh, to SDSU. They thought they had him literally at the last minute iowa swooped in and said we want you to come here and they didn't just offer him a walk-on you know they offered him and uh, they offered him and uh, what were they gonna say you know yeah. how can you how can you tell a kid like that to turn down a chance to play at kinnick stadium every day and he ended up playing at iowa as a true freshman i mean he's gonna be somebody there really good you can't be mad at a kid like that yeah but when you're at the fcs level you're just sort of at the mercy of those sorts of things. You never know when it's going to happen. And I think when when Scott Frost came in, in fact, I remember having a one-on-one conversation with Dan Jackson, the assistant I mentioned earlier, and I said, you know, okay, the last couple of years, the Mike Riley era didn't go so well, and it seemed like you guys really had this Nebraska Jacks pipeline going. Now that Scott Frost is coming in and kind of breathing some new life in and some excitement, are you worried about him? And he kind of thought about it for a second, and he's like, Yeah. Yeah, I am worried about it. Why wouldn't he be, you know? I mean, obviously Scott Frost came in with a lot of fanfare and a lot of hype and the success he had had at his previous job, it only made sense. And, you know, the last couple of years, as you probably know, Nebraska has uh, pulled some kids out of Sioux Falls that were, were scholarship guys, you know, not, not walk-on guys. But that just adds to it. I mean, they're all, it seems like the last couple of years, even with the, the struggles that the Huskers have had, if there's an FBS caliber player coming out of Sioux Falls, coming out of South Dakota – most of them have been going to Nebraska. So it clearly seems that um, whatever he's selling over there, they're buying it here in South Dakota.
2: Well, that's good to hear from my perspective. Uh, yeah, right? I mean, also, he's grown just grown the squad in terms of the number of walk-ons. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there's, the quantity is, is up uh, in general. Well, so turning from kind of big picture uh, to now this, this year's squad, um, you know, was there any spring practice? Nope. No, okay. never got to it well, no uh, so recognizing that you don't really have any spring practice to work off of what do you see as strengths and weaknesses of this team for the fall uh, they're they're pretty loaded. They did
3: not graduate a ton of key players uh, they're probably their best defensive player, Christian Roseboom, was a four year starting middle linebacker who signed a contract with the Rams he'll be in camp with them he 's their biggest loss. Uh, there are some other losses uh, you know some on the offensive line at running back some play, at wide receiver. But those are positions where they were already really, really deep and really experienced. Uh, last year's team I mentioned won eight and five, earned that first round bye in the playoffs, and then lost their first game. Uh, but the, they were really devastated by injuries last year, uh, particularly at quarterback. Uh, their one, two-time one-thousand-yard running back Pierre Strong by the end of the year he was gone. Uh, they, they just, you know, all year long they were kind of playing through injuries and doing a pretty good job of sort of weathering the storm. Uh, but by the end of the year, it had just gotten to be too much, mm-hmm. and, and they just couldn't couldn't continue to overcome all the injuries they had, especially because um, the quarterback position was where it was really um, – they, they opened the year last year. Jabore Gibbs was a redshirt freshman who hadn't really done a whole lot during his redshirt year uh, to indicate he was necessarily a, a, a sure thing. He was a big question mark going into the season as the starter. Then in their first game of the year, they play at Minnesota – Should have won. I think Mm -hmm. the final score, I think, was 28-21. They were ahead for most of the game. Uh, Jabore Gibbs played very well, proved that night that, okay, he is the guy. He's ready to go. And as you you well know, as good as the Gophers ended up being last year, that's not insignificant that uh, the Jacks probably should have won that game. Um, But also from that point on, it was Jabore Gibbs was never healthy. He got a little dinged up in the Gophers game, ended up tearing his ACL in the uh, loss to North Dakota State. Um, And then when he went down – they moved uh, to a junior quarterback who um, had always been kind of penciled in as sort of a career backup, not really a guy you would think could, could run the show, and he kind of proved that to be the case. So then they ended up going to a true freshman um, who had, you know, opened the year like fifth string, and next thing you know, now he's starting. His name is Keaton Heidi, uh, and he played very well for, for a kid who, you know, no one ever expected to see the field. Um, now that creates a very interesting scenario because both Jabore Gibbs and Keaton Heidi played so well as freshmen last year, the coaches have said we owe it to them both to have an open competition this year. It's, they're not just going to hand it to Jabore Gibbs, the returner from last year because of how well Heidi played uh, while he was in there. So that's going to be probably whenever fall camp starts, that's going to be the big storyline here is the quarterback battle between those two. Uh, then you've got, I mentioned that running back, they're very, very deep. Uh, Pierre Strong, Two seasons two one thousand yard seasons he 's really good he's being talked up as you may remember Zach Zenner uh, who you know had an NFL career after playing at South Dakota State a lot of comparisons to him, but he's not it 's not just pierre strong they're they're truly loaded at that position uh, wide receiver I mentioned Cade johnson he 's an all american has led the conference in receiving yards two years in a row uh, tight end ever since Dallas Goddard became the star that he was and moved on to the NFL. That's been a position that they've recruited really heavily, and they they're very loaded at that position too. They have two, three guys that can be uh, true weapons in the passing game at tight end. Um, offensive line is a is is a question mark and always kind of has been. Mm they've never been bad on the offensive line by any means, but they've never been dominant. And that's probably what's separated them from North Dakota state is they just haven't had that ability to completely dominate or wear teams down on the offensive line. There has been a steady improvement, you know, like the the depth has certainly improved. There have been, there were times in the past where they were really only five or six deep. And if a couple guys got hurt, they were in big, big trouble. Uh, They're not in, in that place anymore. They're a lot deeper. They have guys they can trust but they just haven't necessarily had, you know, those two or three dominant guys that you know you can go into a game and say, you know, we're going to run behind this guy or we know that this left tackle can protect our quarterback all game long against this ace pass rusher or whatever. They haven't quite got to that level. Uh, on defense, I mentioned, you know, they graduated Christian Roseboom, their best player, uh, but their defensive line has everyone back and is pretty a pretty good defensive line. Uh, they're very good against the run. They're hit or miss, pass rush. That's again, another thing that's always kind of been an issue for them. Pass rush has been inconsistent when they get to the quarterback. They're really good when they don't get to the quarterback then they sometimes get picked apart. Uh, And their secondary is pretty good too. One of their best corners transferred to Northern Illinois followed his position coach, Dan Jackson. Uh, But the rest of them are all pretty much back again. I don't know that there's any, you know, big time superstars in that group, but it's a pretty deep reliable group. So, you know, sum up long long answer uh they're just pretty deep everywhere they're not necessarily a, a team where you go oh geez they've got this guy who's going to kill you although like i said k johnson pierre strong pretty good players they're just really deep and really experienced at a lot of places and don't have any really
2: glaring question marks coming off of last season wow that's uh sounds like a pretty complete team um you know they as you already mentioned they they showed up at uh Minnesota last year, and um, they were leading in the fourth quarter with like five minutes left before Minnesota finally scored and got a two point conversion to go up by a, a full touchdown. Um, so, and Minnesota ended up having a pretty doggone good season, uh, including beating Nebraska handily. How, how does uh, South Dakota State approach these games? Because I think they do them, pre- do they do one of these mm-hmm. a year. Pretty close, they try to. Um, they've only won one of them.
3: Uh, they beat Kansas in 2016, and that was the year Kansas went 0 and 12. So it's, okay. everybody you know, beat them, right? It's not like that was a huge upset, but it was a big deal for their program because they had never beaten, you know, a, a major conference school. Um, but as you mentioned, while they've only won one of those games, they usually play well in these games. They played close with Nebraska before. That was the second time they almost beat Minnesota. Uh, I've covered a game a few years ago. They went down to Texas and played TCU, had the lead into the fourth quarter against TCU. Mm-hmm. Um, they generally don't get blown out in these games. And I think it's because they have a really healthy sort of perspective or approach in how they, they approach these games. Like, I wouldn't say that they, you know, make it their Super Bowl, so to speak, because they know they have more important things as far as competing for their own conference championship and trying to win a national championship but they also understand that these games are a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal because, you know, they get money for playing them for yeah. one thing. But, but also, you know, you kind of alluded to it earlier. For a lot of these kids, it's a chance to prove yourself. You know, hey, I can play at that level. I can compete against these guys. Whether they have a chip on their shoulder or just are really anxious for the opportunity, they don't come into these games scared or intimidated. They definitely come into them like, I want to prove something. We want to prove something and they tend to usually find a way to do it. They're not intimidated, but they also, you know, go into it pretty clear-eyed, like understanding, like, this team is going to be bigger than us, they're going to be faster than us, and they're going to be deeper than us, and they know that going in, and I think having that sort of combination of understanding and respecting what you're going against, but then not being afraid of it, necessarily, has seemed to serve them really well, and like I said, they've only won the one, but they don't embarrass themselves in these games and, uh, you know, what win lose or whatever, you know, I, I was in this exact doing an interview just like this last year uh, with a, a Gophers podcast and they're like, what's going to happen in this game? And I said, I don't know if they're going to beat them, but I know they're not going to get embarrassed. Hmm. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. And I would expect something similar probably this year against Nebraska.
2: Man, I'm looking back at, uh, you know, Husker Max does a great job of keeping track of old games and, Back in 2010, so a decade ago, it was mm-hmm. 17 to three, and uh, some big Husker names played in that game. Levante David still playing in the NFL. Rex Burkhead won a Super Bowl. Uh, uh, Alfonso Dennard, PJ Smith on defense. Dijon Gomes. I mean, Roy Hulu. That's a good team. Yeah. Was, they were rated number 6 at the time. I was going to say, I think they were ranked 6th, yeah. Yeah, uh, and Taylor Martinez ran 13 times for 75 yards. Burke had 14 times for only 66 yards. Roy Hulu, 19 times for 59 yards. So they are really stymied running. Mm-hmm. And then Team Magic was 6 of 14 with two interceptions you know, yep. for 140 yards passing. Cody Green went in and threw two incomplete passes. So, man, that tough game. That was a, that was a tough game, and I remember my, my buddy brought – his wife to that game and they're not from Nebraska and she's not a college football fan. She's like, why are you so angry? You're winning. I'm like, ah, so, <laughs> awful. Uh-huh. so, uh, sounds like you, uh, you would not be surprised to see something, a similar, a similar outing, maybe more points for both, both sides would be. My yeah. Thought.
3: Yeah. I, I mean, what was Nebraska again this year? Did they, how many four Five wins? and seven? Four. Yeah. Okay. So they're clearly not, you know, the number six team in the country, like they were the last time. And, and SDSU is probably better than they were back then. But having said that um, I'll still be a little bit surprised if SDSU wins that game. Uh, It's one thing to compete in those games. It's another thing to win them. Uh, And let's face it. A lot of times you have, you know, I mentioned the other team is usually bigger and faster and and deeper and all that. But, you know, a lot of times I don't want to say that there's, you know, anything funny going on, but, you kind of are playing against the officials a little bit too. They kind of err on the side of the the favored team. You see that especially in basketball when teams are trying to play up. But like to give an example in that 2010 game, uh, SDSU had an interception return for a touchdown that was called back. I don't think it was necessarily a bad call, but of course SDSU fans all look back at that and go, "Oh, well, it's, it's because of that touchdown getting called back that that's why mm. we didn't know." And uh, and I think it is fair to wonder whether it's a good call or a bad call would the same call have been made if it had been Nebraska that had had the interception return for a touchdown? That's the thing that the uh, SDSU fans, when you ask them about that 2010 game, you know, they love to go back to, well, it was the refs and it was this call and everything. And obviously, you know, fans are going to do that obviously, but those are all sorts of things that I think if you're approaching the game as the underdog, you feel like those are the things that are kind of stacked against you a little bit. And uh, I, like I said, will I be surprised if, if SDSU wins the game? Yeah, I would be. Uh, But I'd probably be even more surprised if SDSU just got completely blown out, you know, Hmm. didn't show up and make it a competitive game. Most of the time, it it, it almost tends to follow a formula, where whether it was TCU or Minnesota or the last time they played Nebraska, they're right there for three quarters, three and a half quarters, and then the superior team sort of finds a way to get it done and pull away at the end. That would be my prediction this time, because that's just what
2: usually tends to happen. (laughs) That's the way it goes. All right, well. Um, we will look forward to that, and uh, I'm, I'm just going to count on it happening when it's supposed to happen. I just, Bill Moose just said right. on the radio the other day he thought there was an 80% chance that the game won against Purdue happened when it was supposed to happen, so we're just, we're just going to count on this and um, appreciate all your your uh, historical knowledge and input on this team as that game appro- approaches. Where can our listeners be uh, reading your material about the, the Jackrabbits? Uh, I'll probably be starting back up with the preseason
3: stuff pretty soon. Here, people can read that at argusleader.com or follow me on Twitter at ArgusMattZ. All right. What's an Argus? It has something to do with like a a mythical creature called an Argus that had a hundred eyes,
2: oh.
3: and so that is something like it, like a newspaper having eyes, being the eyes of the community, sure. something like that. Nice. All right. Thanks.
2: Okay, cool. Well, uh, Matt, this it's is-
3: always been weird for my entire 10 year Argus leader. What's that? Like that's a long story.
2: I, was yeah. fi- I always figured it was like a local thing, but that's uh, mythical. I-, I hadn't considered that. Well, mm-hmm. all right. Well, Matt, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for your time and thanks
1: for uh, being on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Mr. Zimmer for joining us on the podcast. Looking forward to hearing that. I'm going to be honest about the fact that uh, I will hear it when I edit it.
2: (laughs) The best way, the rawest way. Right. Yeah, so uh, it's a good team. Complete team, it sounds like.
1: It seems like our team is becoming less and less complete by the week.
2: Yeah, so JD's gone. Well, he's in the transfer portal. He's not technically gone yet, right? Because you can remove yourself from the portal. Mm-hmm. So, like, he'll be... He's got a hard road ahead of him because he was incomplete this semester. He didn't finish this last semester. and wow. So, he's not a graduate. So, he's not a graduate transfer. So, he can't go someplace and play right away because of that unless he gets some sort of waiver. Um, but then because he didn't finish his academic semester, like, that screws things up a little bit. And he already redshirted a
1: year. Hmm. So... Makes you wonder if the idea is to end up somewhere else and take that year off and then play a year from now. I mean, maybe that's his long game. I don't I don't know.
2: You and I are not, obviously not experts on this. I don't know how it works out, but I will just say he's not officially gone yet, but I mean, <laughs> he's he's all, for all intents and purposes gone, right? Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: uh, like, it's got to be just even ignoring all of those factors. It's got to be an interesting time to try to sell yourself to a school when they're thinking about, like, I don't know if I want to sign this guy, you know, bring him on, not knowing what this season's going to look like. Do we need him? You know? Mm.
2: That's true. You wonder if COVID makes it easier to transfer if they, Mm. you know, if they make special rules to give everybody some flexibility. I heard a lot of Twitter chatter that he had, um, posted on Instagram maybe recently uh, a photo of Oregon state so you know that's oh, like boy. half the staff from Riley oh. so
1: maybe <laughs> and they're
2: who recruited him right? Yep.
1: so yep.
2: maybe he he ends up there um,
1: if that's the case okay
2: i mean you want the kid to be happy and you know unfortunately we just don't know much about a situation cuz he's so quiet and that's that's his that's to each their own um You look at the stats people have been tweeting out about how he was so close to being statistically like the greatest wide receiver ever Mm. in Nebraska. I mean, he was so close. Let me pull up a tweet from Evan Bland. Evan Bland at the World Herald said, he likely would have become Nebraska's most statistically accomplished career receiver in 2020. He needed 20 catches to top Stanley Morgan for career receptions. He needed 202 yards to top Stanley's uh, 2747 yards. And he was fourth – with uh, streaks of catches so he had 33 straight games with catches and morgan had 38 so hmm. he just really doesn't want to be here.
1: yeah i guess not so i i go out on top though on uh, to the next adventure <laughs> yeah,
2: and i'll tell you what i've seen some really negative stuff which just happens because twitter's awful but um i don't think you could anybody should call him soft or weak i mean the hits no. the last several years he just got brutalized across the middle over and over again. I think of the Illinois game comes to mind in particular, but just so many games. He just got walloped. And uh, he was, yeah, he played for some of the worst teams in the modern era of Nebraska football. But there were so many plays where he just bailed us out on like third and 20, and he just wide open. We'll miss that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, as I was... Texting you earlier today, uh, uh, that means that somebody's got to step up, right? Like, we're due for something like that, where some freshman catches fire and we're like, oh, okay. Maybe yeah, we're all right.
2: Well, you know, you got Cade <laughs> Warner and Wandale Robinson. I mean, those are your, by far, your biggest returning receivers in terms of production. And then you've got Omar Manning, the Juco, that everybody is desperate to have a huge impact. And you've got some really good, you know, top flight young wide receivers coming in in this recruiting class. So there's opportunity.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Hopefully they can practice and figure out how to play with the team.
1: You know what else is a wonderful opportunity? (laughs) What's that, Mike? Dude, we are killing it with the transitions lately. I just want to point that out. Uh, You have an opportunity to work with Monty Rodi at Pinnacle Realty, which I would recommend doing. It's always better to work with a professional than it is to go on Craigslist and – perhaps get scam-boned.
2: It's like the wild west out there right now. There was an article in the World Herald over the weekend, fast-moving housing market seemed like perfect time for scam artists to strike. Like there's just That's the, awful. How prices prices are low and
1: mortgage rates are low and demand is high and, and people want to go online instead of meeting in person, so they think that they can just do everything by sending a couple emails. Right. So, um,
2: I mean, there's a variety of reasons to talk to Monty, but one of them is you just want to work with someone who knows what's going on. So you'll get yeah. scammed.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a crazy time. But there is something to be said about working with a professional who is, you know, authorized to do this work. You know, he, he the pinnacle realty name uh, does add a little bit of confidence when you give Monty a call, you know, we're, we're recommending somebody who, knows what he's doing, who is held to the highest ethics as well.
2: So give Monty a call, 402-770-3356, or you can text him. Also, I uh, talked to Kendra about uh, the turnout at the farmer's market last week, and she said it felt like a normal farmer's market in terms of turnout. So oh, that's great. Um, yeah, it sounds like they've updated their inventory. They've got new products online. Um, so she says go check out their website. And uh, she also said that they're in Shields in Lincoln and in Omaha now with the, the bison jerky. And they're still in Dante's in Omaha. So that that's exciting. If, you awesome. are, if you've been dining out or dining in in some places now, go True. check them out now. Yeah. Let's transition over to our second conversation of, of the evening. I'm saying the evening because that's when we're recording, but you might be listening in the morning, dear listener. Um, we had Josh Planos on uh, on the podcast. Josh is a contributing writer at Five Thirty Eight and uh, had a really interesting piece today about uh, name, image, and likeness and how Nebraska's kinda on the cutting edge of that. Uh, The article, student athletes will soon be social media influencers and one college program is helping them do it. So really deep Spoiler
1: alert, it's the University of Nebraska.
2: Mike, don't give it away. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Josh. We are excited to have Josh Planos here. Josh is a contributing writer at 538 and had uh, a really interesting piece mm-hmm. published, was it mm-hmm. today? Published on 538. student athletes will soon be social media influencers and one college program is helping them do it. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks for having me. So so this name, image, and likeness conversation has been going on for a little while now. Uh, we talked to Adi Kanalik from Open Doors earlier this spring about their partnership. Um, you did a really good job of diving into some of the data here and, and kind of speculating about how much how much a, a student athlete could make. Um, tell us about how you approached this article and kind of what you're hoping to find with it.
0: Well, initially, I actually had a piece come out two weeks ago that was just around the name image likeness conversation. Um, I just wanted to see, you know, what is like an elite, athlete in a respective sport stand to generate for um, if these rules go into place, uh, we've had a lot of momentum um, in the past few months. So it just seemed like it was a, you know, a, a super relevant conversation. And from there, um, I learned a little bit more about the Ready Now program, which is something that the University of Nebraska has and only the University of Nebraska has, uh, which will you know put some infrastructure in place to handle this you know, growing need, um, supposedly will provide resources for each of the 600 plus student athletes at the university to grow their individual brand, maximize their individual brand, um, even though these rules uh, and rights aren't even in place yet. Um, so that first story came out a, a few weeks back, and I just kind of wanted to see uh, what it might be like to talk about this from a, a university perspective, just, you know, get that that aerial shot. We, we talk a lot about the Trevor Lawrence's of the world, uh, the Zion Williamson's of the world. The reality is that there are very few of those people and very few of those people stand uh, who, who stand to generate, you know, six-figure paydays. Uh, the average member of the rifle team at the University of Nebraska is obviously not looking to you know, secure a lucrative payday with these rights, but it's still standing to generate some sort of uh, income that, that they otherwise wouldn't have. So that's really kind of the, the genesis of the story. Um, I spoke to, you know, the university, the, the people who are uh, also, you know, putting together this, this partnership, uh, the folks over at, at Open Doors for it, um, some student athletes and coaches, and, uh, you know, hopefully it provided a, a perspective that hasn't, you know, previously been, been you know, given to the public. Were
2: were Was the university pretty open about all this? Was it easy to get this information?
0: Yeah, yeah. They were, you know, super open whether or not that, you know, had something to do with the pandemic or, or not. You know, I don't know how many interview requests they're fielding at this you know, particular moment. But I do think that they wanted to get, um, you know, some sort of press, um, you know, because basically as soon as they announced that this program uh, was going to be in place, the next day the NBA regular season shut down and then mm. within a matter of weeks, all sports, you know, kind of ground to a halt. So uh, they didn't really get any sort of press surrounding it just because everybody's attention moved, uh, you know, to COVID-19. So I do think that they wanted to, you know, have, have a larger conversation and that it could be at a national outlet with certainly, um, you know, some sort of, you know, incentive for, for them to you know, communicate with me. But I really, um, I, I went to them first because I knew that the story wouldn't happen if, Um, I I didn't get their perspective and and frankly it's just so jarring to see that this program is in place when when these rules haven't even taken uh, effect yet so um, you know very thankful that they gave me the time of day uh, because otherwise the the story wouldn't have happened
2: that's awesome yeah you talked in the article about I'm trying to remember if you implied or if you outright said that other coaches or people are recruiting with this now what is that what is that looking like
0: yeah, so uh, some coaches reached out to me after the first story went up um, to see if I could run um, some numbers for them. Of course, the numbers i I got I, I got from Open Doors. I'm not actually the one, you know, calculating uh, these figures. These are this is proprietary information gotcha. that you know I've got an idea of, of how they they got to you know the dollar amount, but really this is this is all Open Doors is doing. But anyway, so coaches came to me to see if I could get them some information on some recruits. I won't name the programs, but they're among the most successful and, and uh, powerful in all of college athletics. Um, And then I did reach out to some, uh, some athletes to kind of confirm that these conversations were taking place. We didn't actually uh, include that. We didn't go ahead and include that in the story uh, for for a number of reasons, but yeah, you know, it, it, one thing for you know a coach to reach out to me and in my dms and ask if i can you know get him some information on a potential uh recruit it's another thing if you know kid is actually you know considering it when when you know they're trying to figure out where they're going to go to school and what offer they're going to accept but uh both of those things are happening and uh you know it's it's really not shocking when we consider that like under the radar payments have been you know pretty commonplace in the ncaa for you know decades but Interesting, nonetheless.
1: To me, it's very interesting just because you always hear about these students making the decision to graduate early, right? So they can go to the NFL and get a paycheck that's beyond their wildest dreams because they got a family and a life to consider after school and after the NFL. Now you're going to probably going to start hearing the same thing for high school students with the decision they're making for whatever school they're going to. They're thinking like, hey. You know, in the case of Nebraska, they got I might not be the cream of the crop in terms of recruiting, but they've got a great system in place where I can make some real money to at least help pay for school, you know?
0: Yeah, and I don't know how much of a difference this is gonna make between you know a kid deciding between you know Appalachian state and and Michigan, you know, but but I do think that like if I'm considering Michigan or Ohio State, and Ohio State comes to me and says, hey, not only do we know that you're worth this much money, but we have a system in place that will allow you to make this much money. Mm. Uh, That's going to be a pretty significant uh, component in in my decision-making process. That's going to mean an awful lot to my family. Um, So I don't know if it's going to, you know, say vault somebody from a non-Power 5 conference into, uh, you know, the Power 5 or vice versa, but I I do think that it's going to make a pretty significant impact uh, when we're considering, you know, peer institutions.
2: It, it feels like Nebraska has a little bit of a lead here on this, but I don't know. Do you get the impression that that lead's not going to last very long?
0: Well, I, I think a lot of schools are going to follow suit. We've already seen Open Doors announced a few. They, I don't think they're Division I programs that have signed on, but but some, you know, Division II, Division III. Um, I do think that this is going to be a huge selling point for the program. I kind of make the point that, Nebraska offered a ton of scholarships um, to the class of 2022. And uh, maybe that has something to do with this program. Mm. Maybe it doesn't. I do know it's a huge chip and they're actively selling it um, to, to incoming students, uh, student athletes. Um, I do think that it's, you know, again, I I don't think that this program is going to be enough to dissuade somebody from going to the university of Alabama. Uh, I think people know the Mm. professional opportunities that come with going to play football at the university of Alabama. But I don't know. I mean, if I'm a member of uh, you know, the, the women's golf team and considering, you know, a couple of schools, I think that this is a huge deal um, that, that there's, you know, something resembling infrastructure in place uh, once these rules are adopted and they will be adopted. You
2: have this great chart in here where you, you look at the top university of Nebraska student athlete per sport estimated potential earnings so the numbers on here um, at the top with Adrian Martinez uh, the potential of $1,500 earned per post uh, annual earnings of $150,000 like that's just insane Uh, but then you you keep scrolling and and while the numbers aren't six-figure numbers I'm just thinking of when I was a college student and the hours I put in at the Barnes & Noble Cafe to get a little extra cash on the side if I could have done that with a couple tweets I mean Lexi's son she can make uh 1100 almost 1200 dollars per post according to their math and that's almost 40000 dollars like that's a you know slightly below the poverty line income for <laughs> an adult and then you go all the way down here to the bottom and and trinity gomez on the rifle team i mean she they they project she can make 15 dollars per post 168 bucks annually i mean for 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 these posts i mean that's that's pretty that's awesome.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds damn good to me. Um, I know that, uh, that, that beat the, the part-time jobs I was working through, through college, but um, I should note that like these numbers are locked in place based on their current follower counts and current engagement rates and these other proprietary metrics. So like um, I mentioned in in the first story, um, not the one about Nebraska, but uh, I I pulled, you know, a couple of notable names and the the number one athlete in terms of potential earnings was Paige Buchers, who's, Going to UConn this year, she's an incoming freshman. She stands to make north of six hundred and seventy thousand dollars annually. She has not played a single minute of college basketball. That's more than two hundred thousand dollars more than Trevor Lawrence is projected to make. Those numbers are, are insane, but they're also just totally locked in on, on what she currently um, what what her current audience size is. So, like the minute Paige Buchers goes off for thirty, uh, her numbers are going to spike. Uh, the minute, you know, SportsCenter leads with, look at this freshman phenom, her numbers are going to spike. She's going to stand to earn a lot more money. So, you know, again, some of some of these Nebraska athletes, to get back to that story, um, you know, if they were to have something significant happen to them, if they were to come out with some crazy dance that went viral uh, or they were to, you know, get really popular on, on Twitch, um, you know, they could stand to make a, a considerable amount of money. Uh, more than than the projections we have in place but this is the the best we have with what we have at the moment
2: you know I start to think about other incentives this adds in to the you know the playing time discussion like hey coach I want to get playing time like this this adds a a, a different incentive to that it's like why do you want to get playing time well I want to see the field why well because it, I mean, we're talking half a million if I play now versus next season like it's uh It's like, you know, you got to invest while you're young and start dollar cost averaging early. Well, I got to get some playing time my freshman year so I can start building my following and and an injury then like the financial loss, like maybe you're going to have students start getting insurance on on, on their knees, you know, running backs, because, you know, if I get hurt, I'm not going to get that following in three years. I mean, there's all kinds of implications for that. Wow.
0: I mean, that's a really good point. I I wonder if this is... If, if there is some opportunity to, to bring this to insurance providers and say, hey, this is actually what this company thinks that I'm worth purely uh, in terms of social media. Again, these are just social media valuations. This is not uh, taking into account the, the local business deals that a lot of these guys are going to cut uh, with their uh, folks back home. Think about Isaiah Roby, who's from you know, a really small community in Illinois. Um, he would have had you know, businesses lining up Uh, once, you know, he was going to be a future, uh, you know, NBA draft pick to to just to have the opportunity to put his face on anything. Mm. Um, But yeah, I mean, it it is, uh, I think, a natural progression, really, when we think about like, how short the audience uh, or the the lifespan of of an athlete is in terms of uh, their athletic career, we need to be able to put a dollar amount to it. I mean, if I know that I could theoretically blow my knees out in the second game, of, you know, the rookie season of college football, I want to know that I have at least something um, in the bank, uh, you know, when that moment comes. So I think that this is just a natural progression of uh, having, you know, grown-up conversations with with grown-up kids. We we really like to think of NCAA student-athletes as kids, but they're absolutely adults when they show up on campus and should be treated as such.
1: That's interesting. Lincoln, I just think in in terms of – of the local impact here you, you know i i just think back to 10 years ago there was that sign at on the runza on the way out of town that said anyone named ndamakan eats for free here right like now you could potentially see ndamakan sue you know if he were still a student athlete see his face on the front door while you're walking in a local business or something like that. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, if that were to happen today, you wouldn't be able to put the Nebraska insignia on that, uh, that billboard. The the gray area is enormous here, right? Like the Mm -hmm. universities cannot supposedly, if the rights that the NCAA board of governors um, seek to adopt are in fact adopted, the universities can't facilitate the deals uh, but the only reason the deals are cut is because the university is some sort of you know partnership with with, with these student athletes. There's just the, the this is mm. going to be a compliance nightmare. Mm. Um, I honestly can't imagine uh, a, a more uh, difficult situation. Uh, compliance teams are going to need to to staff up because this is just a, a ticking time bomb. And the last thing you want uh, if you're a university and you're tendering scholarship offers is uh, you know putting a student-athlete in a situation where they're going to, you know, forego their eligibility because you accidentally, you know, left the Nebraska N on, uh, you know, a a flyer for for an autograph session that's coming Mm, up. Well, Did you get a sense in talking to coaches if they were anxious about the
2: law catching up with what the NCAA has made legal?
0: University officials just kind of make it seem like they're just going to run with, with, with what's happening. I mean, Garrett Classy is the senior executive AD, I think, is his title. He um, put it pretty bluntly to me when he said, you know, whether you like it or not, that, you know, NIL rights are coming. And we just wanted to be ahead of the curve and to have a system in place to be able to handle it when it happened. Um, Nebraska really likes to to pride itself on on being at the vanguard of a, of a number of initiatives. We saw it in the late 60s with the Strength and Conditioning Program. I still don't think a lot of people know that in 2015, Nebraska became the first university to have a sports analytics outfit designed to uh, help all 24 varsity sports. That's a huge deal. I mean, obviously, they're, they're not hanging banners uh, at, at a rate that you would expect. Uh, but, you know, that that is a, that is a huge step forward. And for a lot of people who think of the Midwest as flyover country, I think it's really telling that that Nebraska really seeks to be uh, at the forefront of, of these movements. They don't they don't like you know lagging behind and needing to play catch up.
1: I guess the only the other thing that I had on my mind was it's kind of a one off, but I just think about coaches and their moratorium on social media. Like I, even that kind of thing, coaches are going to be pushed into a corner where they can't tell their students. Hey, I need you to stay off of Twitter because the twi- the kids are thinking. Wait a minute, this is how I'm going to make money while I'm doing this. We, we saw that with uh, with Iowa today, right? If you're following the news, that there was
0: uh, some sort of situation in place where, like, Iowa football players would get like one pre-approved tweet per month. Yeah, uh, that's uh that's a real problem if yeah. you're making you know, if your income is coming through social media, which it will be at least in the early wave uh, once these rights are adopted. The same uh, holds true with, with Clemson. I mean, think, I think Clemson went on like a seven-year streak. I don't know if it's still active, but they went on like a seven-year streak of of the players supposedly imposing a season-long ban uh, on, on Twitter activity. So like if I'm Trevor Lawrence, I'm not tweeting through the entirety of the season. Uh, that might be cool in, in theory, but uh, in, in practice, that's a real problem. If I've got this enormous platform, and I'm trying to get my family out of poverty, if I'm trying to get some money uh, on the side so I can, you know, go and, and, and take a girl on a date, because I'm a college student, and I deserve to be able to do that. Like, that, that's a real issue. If, if the universities are going to say, hey, I know we can't facilitate these endorsements, but also please abide by our policy of, of not using your uh, army-like following uh, to generate income, <laughs> yeah. right,
2: Josh? It strikes me that this conversation we've been having, and I think your article is, is mostly from the perspective of individual income. Is there was there any conversation about profit sharing? Um, you know, the the less successful, the less notable athletes getting some of that sweet, sweet cash.
0: <laughs> Not that I heard, and uh, you know, really, I mean, we're working with averages here. I, I didn't include a lot of that information in the story purely because of that. I know that people like Adrian Martinez are, are severely skewing the data set when you introduce mm-hmm. those numbers, you know, the third string offensive lineman, the, the walk on from grand Island, those kids are not getting these kinds of paydays. So I really tried to keep the averages to a minimum. I don't believe that there is uh, any sort of profit sharing in place, but what I'm kind of curious about is, okay, so we've got Christian McCaffrey's brother right on the team. Um, what if I'm, you know, trying to cut a deal with him, but I also know that Christian McCaffrey will retweet the content that his brother puts online. Is, is that, do I need to pay him, Hmm. um, you know, for his brother's influence or can I cut a deal that way? There's just a lot of different like, like side avenues uh, for for endorsements here that I'm really curious about.
2: Hmm.
0: Wow. Yeah. Your, your comment earlier, this is super complicated.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: And this is just social media, man. Like this is going to be a whole uh, can of worms that, uh, that the NCAA, of course they don't want this. I mean, their hands are forced. So I, I have no uh, feeling like the NCAA is doing this of, of, of its own volition. They're definitely being, you know, strong armed into, uh, you know, putting these, these policies in place, but you know, once it happens, it's just going to grow and grow and grow. And then it's going to be, you know, Hopefully, it will lead to the destruction of the amateurism model. But again, you know, I also really like consuming this content, and mm. there is a chance that that could no longer be readily available if this uh, this thing implodes. Well,
2: this has been a super interesting conversation. I, I'm really grateful for your time. You know, I realize up front, I didn't give you an opportunity to talk about uh, 538. I told my wife I was going to talk to a 538 reporter about football and she was super confused for a little while cuz we've only ever talked about 538 as it relates to politics um so yeah what is 538 and how how do they have a sports page now
0: yes i mean i would definitely uh promote uh checking in on the the politics team it is uh, a crack team of uh statisticians uh policy wonks just wonks across the board uh nate silver heads up 538 um it's kind of you know his uh his child Uh, But they do have a sports uh, vertical that I contribute to. Um, I've only ever contributed to the sports vertical, and that's probably for the best because I know very little about politics. But there is a whole team of people who know an awful lot. Um, 538, uh, so really when when I pitch stories, uh, there needs to be a statistical angle to it. So um, one of the upcoming stories I'm working on is about mascots. And the genesis of the idea is that I think mascots are hilarious, and I've loved them my whole life. But – can't write the story unless there's a stats angle. So that kind of gets you into, um, you know, the the pitch room over at Five Thirty Eight. There's a lot of data, uh, a lot of data visualizations. There's a great data viz team in place that you should check out. Um, they do tremendous work, and I'm just, you know, very lucky to to contribute there.
2: Well, we'll uh, we'll be looking for that piece, and if if Herbie has any or Little Red have any sort of a prominent uh, spot, we'd love to have you come back here and talk to us about it. I'd love to do it. All right. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> Thanks for having me,
0: guys. Thank you.
1: Thanks again to Mr. Planos for joining us on the podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at J Planos. That's P-L-A-N-O-S. And then you can also go to josh-planos.squarespace.com slash stories to read everything he's been writing.
2: And if you go to his Twitter page, you can click to that link through his Twitter page. So Awesome. Don't, you don't have to memorize it or write it all down. Um, so yeah, that. Really interesting conversation. Really interesting times we're in. If there's uh, anybody going to law school trying to figure out, like, where's my next opportunity? Like, compliance. Sports compliance. (laughs) Good point. The emerging field. The exciting new opportunities in sports compliance. College sports compliance.
1: Probably uh, more stable work than trying to become an influencer yourself. So, you might as well influence the influencers. Indeed. Indeed. Justin, I'm going to influence you to say, go Big Red. Go Big Red, Mike. The Husker Football Fan Podcast is an unofficial, non-commercial podcast and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. The views expressed on this podcast belong solely to the individuals expressing them. The Husker Football Fan Podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with the Nebraska Cornhuskers or the University of Nebraska.